from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is the Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, May 5th. Ahead in this hour, Marshawn Lynch speaking about a possible return to Seattle. Would he like to be back here in the Pacific Northwest if and when football resumes? We'll hear from Marshawn Lynch. He was on Sports Center yesterday, and if you missed it, you don't want to. I'll play some sound for you. Plus, some cool community work that he's been doing, including handing out Beast Mode masks. Also ahead in this hour, we did get some live sports back on television yesterday. Korean baseball beginning without fans in the stands. We'll talk about all the procedures they went through, through and also compare it to possibilities for here in the U.S., Plus, sad news yesterday, Don Shula, the NFL's winningest coach, led the Miami Dolphins to the league's only undefeated season, passed away on Monday at the age of 90, remembering Shula through those who knew him the best. All ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Marshawn Lynch coming back to Seattle certainly gave fans an injection of nostalgia last year. Would he be back this year if it, everything works out? He was on Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt, so here's the full exchange on the coming back to Seattle question. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to talk shop. I just I did read a quote where you said, "We'll see what's going to happen as it relates to the future." So I'm just curious what you want to happen in the future. You said what I want to happen in the future as far as what though. Well, I mean, people, you know, last year when you came back, it made people feel some kind of way, as they say, you know, and they like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you said, we'll see what happens. I'm just curious what, you know, what you want to happen, because you're the kind of guy that makes what you want to happen, happen. Well, I mean, it's almost on that expect the unexpected, but I mean, you know, just as far as right now, what I do know is I'm going to keep it silent, like, is that, uh, you know, my, my agent have been in talk with, uh, um, with Seattle. So, like I said, we'll see what happens if. Okay. If it work out and they, you know what I mean, and I get back up there, it is what it is. And, I mean, if not, I'm living good, so I ain't really tripping too much. Marshawn Lynch also always one to be active in the community and doing great work, especially in his hometown of Oakland. He was on video recently handing out Beast Mode masks to people, which was pretty cool. What was that like? <laughs> uh, well, man, I just... Uh... Realistically, I just went and rode through uh, basically my my old neighborhoods and uh, and by the lake. And I mean, you know, <laughs> luckily I found a lot of people outside that I was able to get those masks to. Scott Van Pelt asking Marshawn about his ability to spread joy. Obviously, we're aware of it, but does he feel that every time he's out in the community doing things? Uh, no, nah, man, I really just be, you know what I mean? I just be chilling in. You feel me, though? I just be vibing, moving around. Moving and grooving, and <laughs> we know. But I mean, I don't, I don't really look at it like that. I just, I mean, I ain't really doing nothing else. So, I mean, you know, there's <laughs> just be wiggling a little bit. Maybe Mal, more than ever, though, that ability uh, to spread joy is important. Marshawn Lynch, more on that. No, I mean, I 
though. I mean, you know, we had a bad time right now, so you feel me, though? Yeah. Anything that could do to help out, you know what I mean? I just try and, you know, do my little part, like I said. But for the most part, though, I mean, you know, this is something that I do, you know, on a daily. I mean, you know, with our foundation and, you know, going around and doing, uh, you know, different camps all around the world and just, um, you know, just a little many things that, uh, you know, I could go in uh, many different places and leave my footprint for the, uh, you know, for one day they go and tell somebody like, oh, yeah, that boy Marshawn came through and, you know what I mean? He was a real dude, you feel me? So yeah. I just, you know, I just try to make my mark on, on places that I go to. What was the reaction from people when Beast Mode went out into the community, reactions from people that uh, he interacted interacted with in a safe manner, of course, but handing out masks and, and, and such? Uh, well, I mean, when I get out and I... Uh... And I, you know, I talk to people, you know, it'd be a mixed, a mixed, uh, mixed little review or mixed emotion from a lot of people, you know, some is scared. And the thing that I see is like, it'd be a lot of extremists. Like it's either like, you know what? I ain't going outside at all. Or it's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm finna go outside and I'm finna move around like how I've been moving. But I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, take precaution with what you're doing. You feel me, though? And if you feel, you know, you want to put yourself at, you know, at, at, at risk by risking the situation, then, you know, I feel that that's on you. Marshawn Lynch also telling SVP that uh, he did try to uh, watch what he was saying. There's a couple bleeps in there, but uh, he was trying to. I, look, uh, I've been trying to watch my mouth because I know you, you know what I mean? Uh, what, I hope y'all whatever. got some editors up. You know what, hey, man, if you're watching this Jordan doc, man, you can say whatever you want, man. That people, I gave up anymore, man. People are saying, people are just acting reckless on TV now, Marshawn. You can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> man, what's happening with you? <laughs> All right. Maybe that, was, maybe that was more than we're going to be able to get on the air. Hey, listen. Did, did sort of team up for that one, SVP. Uh, pretty amazing. But that full clip, I believe, available on ESPN for you. Marshawn Lynch joining Scott Van Pelt. And you heard it there. He would love to be back in Seattle if that situation works out. Otherwise, he's got plenty on his plate as of now. The new baseball season began in South Korea on Tuesday. So professional baseball back on the field, but without fans in the stands. Took a couple of weeks because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, delay wise. But now, baseball back on TV, ESPN broadcasting some of these games as well. They went through several precautions for this to happen in at least one stadium. Organizers even going so far as to put up pictures of fans in lieu of real, of real people being there because fans aren't allowed in the venues. But uh, the Korea Baseball Organization employed various protective measures, preventative measures aimed at creating safe playing environments. And if sports leagues in America are looking to institute or at least follow some of these examples, they might be tuned into these as well to see how things go. But basically, okay, so players and coaches, they'll go through fever screenings before they enter the stadiums. Umpires and first and third base coaches always have to wear masks during games. Players are prohibited from signing autographs or high-fiving teammates with bare hands. Chewing tobacco was banned to prevent people from spitting. 
Masks and latex gloves are required at all training facilities and then fans barred from games until the KBO is convinced the risk of the infection has been minimized. If any member of a team tests positive for the coronavirus at any point of the season, the league will be shut down for at least three weeks. Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider on why baseball was able to come back now in Korea. The reason that the Korea baseball organization is playing games at all right now is because they've done an incredible job of handling coronavirus. And and that is for a number of reasons that uh, would take a lot longer to get into than, than you have time or perhaps the audience has interest. But the <laughs> point is, in the whole country, and I know it's one-sixth the population of the United States, but still a fairly populous country. In the entire country, within the last week, they've been under 10 new cases a day. 10 cases a day. So they've done an incredible job of maintaining their lives and their society amid this. And baseball coming back is just a part of that. Uh, in that game, one of the games broadcast on ESPN, the Samsung Lions fell to the NC Dinos 4-0 in, a ga- in that game. But uh, we also just got some home run calls again, which felt good. I've noticed on the mound. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh, it's right. Driven to oh. left, and that one is gone and deep and gone for Sukmun Park. And the NC Dinos get their second home run of the game and lead it three to nothing. That ball was scolded right there. Wouldn't be their last home run of the game, though, in the same inning. As you're looking at Chang Min Mo, and that ball is driven left. That was a bat flip. There is our first bat flip. Back to back jacks. Four nothing. Dinos. Yeah, not bad. Plus, bat flipping in KBO is huge. So as far as the entertainment value goes, it's going to be fun, even without as many fans in the stand, which they're a huge part of the game as well. Barring any virus-related suspension, the KBO plans to maintain a 144-game regular season schedule. And uh, and executives you know, over here in, in the United States might be tuned in to see how these measures work out and if they can implement any of them into what their plans are moving ahead. Jeff Passan saying, though, for fans tuning in, expecting to see Major League Baseball, this is not it. The KBO is not the MLB. And one of the, some of the major differences in how they play. The velocity isn't close to, to where it is in the big leagues. You're going to see guys pitching, uh, you know, topping out probably mid-90s. Um, uh, you're going to see mostly high 80s, low 90s. A lot of a lot of junk ballers um, and a lot of off-speed pitches. Uh, until last year, it was interesting. They deadened the ball last year because, like, when Eric Thames, uh, the the now Washington Nationals first baseman, was over in Korea just putting up absolutely obscene numbers, you know, hitting 380, slugging 790. Uh, I don't know if the ball was juiced, but there was a lot going on there. So they deadened the ball this past year. Slugging percentage dipped under 400. Uh, it, it didn't quite look like the Korean baseball that I think people have become accustomed to. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the ball plays, but it has historically been a very offense-friendly environment. Technically, former Mariner Eric Thames as well. Up next on the Blitz, how do Major League Baseball players feel about potentially coming back? We'll hear from uh, local hero Blake Snell on that very subject next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. 
Welcome back to the Blitz at Six. The Dave Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Tuesday, May 5th. Hope everyone is doing well. If you need a reminder, check on what day of the week it is. Don't worry. I'm on the same boat. So Tuesday, just a heads up, Tuesday, May 5th. We talked about Korean baseball being back uh, and not and even on our televisions, ESPN broadcasting some of these games, giving us live games to watch. But when might this happen with Major League Baseball? Blake Snell, local product, huge UW fan, let's go. Uh, also, recent winner of the Players League Championship, uh, talked to Golick and Wingo yesterday and talked about he thinks they would need at least six weeks to ramp everything up and get ready to play. I would say probably six weeks. Uh, just and I think and I think it would be sped up to where uh, pitchers just need to get built up to like three innings, uh, and we'll just have a lot more pitchers and players uh, to play the games. Um, but yeah, I would say six weeks. I mean, I'm doing everything I can to just stay in shape and be as ready as I can be, but I still think it takes six weeks to get ready. Snell saying that he wants testing in place before playing. The only thing that I cared about was like, uh, like what testing we'd be able to do for the virus to make sure like everyone is as safe and healthy as possible, and that's something that they've really been looking into. So, as long as we have stuff that uh, is put in place to make sure that we're we're in no risk or no danger of uh, catching the coronavirus, then I'm I'm on board wherever we play. However, when that, it doesn't matter to me. Blake's now also on the close contact that they've had uh, with the union players have in this time. I would say a lot. We have a, our team has a group chat and we talk pretty frequently about it. So um, I would say a lot and everyone's concerns have been, have been heard and, and they're talking about it. And I think that's why it's been such a long discussion between the union and MLB. And I mean, everyone's been voicing their opinion and everyone's been really, really strong about what they want. So I know MLB is going to do their best to make sure everything is is met and uh, we're as safe as we can possibly be. And if that's the case, then hopefully baseball comes back sooner. And uh, But, yeah, I know all the players have been really, uh, really vocal about what they want. And, uh, I think it's just helping MLB have a better understanding for what, they, what they're going to need to do to be able to get this to start. Some sad news yesterday. Don Chula, the NFL's winningest coach who led the Miami Dolphins to the only undefeated season in the NFL, passed away on Monday at the age of 90. Dolphins issued a statement saying that Chula died peacefully at his home. He won an NFL record 347 games, including playoff games, coached the Dolphins to the league's only undefeated season, 17-0, back in 1972, culminating in a 14-7 victory over Washington in Super Bowl twelve, the Dolphins repeated as champions the next season, beating the Vikings 24-7, the third straight title game Miami had played in. Not bad. But the Dolphins lost 24-3 to the Cowboys uh, previously before the, before the win streak there. And all Shula guided the Dolphins to five Super Bowls, including wa- losses to Washington as well as the 49ers. But remembering Don Shula yesterday, some Pretty great stuff from people who knew him well, who played for him, including Mike Golick, but Dan Lebetard also remembering Don Shuley yesterday. Someone who is on the Mount Rushmore in South Florida uh, in terms of sports names, Don Shula has passed away at the age of 90 years old. He had been weakened and wheelchair bound for the last 
five years or so, uh, but was still a pillar of uh, grace and integrity. Uh, what a brutal time, not that there's ever a good time to die, Stu Gods, but what a brutal time specifically to die where you don't get those last moments uh, in person with your family. or It's made very difficult by the circumstances. And for those of you tuning in now who don't know what Don Shula meant to South Florida, uh, he was the first credible giant sports thing that we had that was national. You can make the argument that the Dolphins have never been as relevant as they were under Don Shula, that the Dolphins have spent the last 25 years desecrating what he built in South Florida with uh, a perfect season, with uh, two Super Bowl championships, with Belichick still needs wins to catch him on the Ooh. career uh, wins list. He's got an expressway named after him in South Florida, but he's from a bygone time where a coach could be this authoritarian figure and also become role model and picture of strength. He was a spiritual man. He was a hard man. He was a leader of the highest order. And Stugatz, when we're talking about, um, you know, top five personalities in sports in the history of South Florida, you're talking about Don Shula. You're talking about Pat Riley. You're talking about Dwayne Wade. You're talking about Dan Marino. And that's basically the list. Like, you, you have a hard time getting to five in terms of somebody who says Miami and sports more than those four guys. That was pretty cool. Also, former players, uh, including Dan Marino, what type of coach Shula was? When I came in, he was tough, tough and very demanding. And he led by example, so he expected you to come in and, and be the best you could be every day and you know, he always had a winning attitude, that whole thing. It was always projected every day, always projected. The one thing for me is uh, he, he uh, was very demanding, but also he'd, he would listen to your ideas and listen to your thoughts. And maybe he wasn't that way in the 60s and the 70s with, you know, the teams that were the perfect seasons. But with me, he, he was great that way. Also a member of that 1972 team, former Dolphins safety Dick Anderson on why Shula was so special. Coach Shula was very special. We, <clears throat> I had come to the Dolphins two years before he arrived, and we didn't do very well. Um, you know, it was an old-style football coach, and when Coach Shula came in, every minute of every day had a plan. And, um, you know, one of those was four practices a day, and uh, it certainly paid off. Well, sad news yesterday in the football community, of course, but love hearing all these stories from former players and former coaches uh, that benefited from playing under or from being part of the coaching tree of Don Shula. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for, well, typically our draft profiles here. We've been taking a closer look at each member of the Seahawks' latest draft class, but... We're going to put it on pause because someone who's much more talented at it than me, Jake Heaps, he broke down one of the draft class members yesterday. So we'll hear from him. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. 
Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, May 5th. Every morning at 6.30, we've been taking a closer look at the Seahawks 2020 draft class. And we were now into uh, Freddie Swain territory, but we're going to put that on pause because yesterday, Jake Keeps of Tom, Jake, and Stacy uh, took some time to start their draft profiles. And starting with the Seahawks' first-round selection of Jordan Brooks, here was Jake. First-round selection at pick 27, Jordan Brooks, linebacker out of Texas Tech. This name was not expected in terms of the Seahawks selection. But what we know best about Pete Carroll, John Schneider, is they like to do things their way. They like to evaluate in their way and, and address needs that mostly everybody doesn't really look at as a pure need. They just seem to always think outside the box. And with Jordan Brooks, I can see why they made this selection when you really do your homework and research. Because at six foot, 240 pounds, the Seahawks scouts at the Combine had him running a 4-4-40 with only just about a week prep time to run that 40 and do all of the testing at the Combine because he was recovering from shoulder injury. Think about that for a second. That means that this guy has pure natural pop and ability and explosiveness to him. And when you watch the film on Jordan Brooks, it stands out in a huge way. He's one of the few players in the country with all-conference accolades in all four seasons in his career at Texas Tech. 108 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, which ranked top 10 nationally, and three sacks in just 11 starts because of that shoulder injury. That's what he did in his last year as a senior there at Texas Tech under a new system where they put him as the inside linebacker, in previous years he had played outside linebacker. He's big, physical, tremendous range, and a high-flying high motor. And you can see it running sideline to sideline. And here's cut number five, Pete Carroll talking about how Brooks' versatility really stood out to them. We just uh, found a guy that really could check all the boxes. Um, we love his attitude. Like John said, it's just his mentality. Just really, really on it. His versatility, he's played, like John said, he played the first couple of years. He did his playing time was outside, in more in space. This last year, they changed schemes and put him really in a position where he was. A lot of the time, he was responsible for the quarterback and would chase the quarterback and spy him. And so he was up in the line of scrimmage and pressuring. So we've seen him do a variety of, of things. And with that versatility, it brings flexibility to your defense, not just from a personnel standpoint but also where you can place him, how you can use him. You can use him as a spy versus some of those fast athletic quarterbacks like Kyler Murray within your own division, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, some of these guys who are really starting to break out onto the scene. He's an excellent blitzer, which would be a great compliment to Bobby Wagner as the middle linebacker. As you heard Coach Carroll first talk about Jordan Brooks in that last cut, they loved his personality. This guy is a tone setter. He's an alpha male type of personality. He's got a great head on his shoulders. And in terms of wondering where he's going to fit into the defense, well, here's John Schneider talking about just how they will be able to find a way to get Brooks onto the field and how his impact, it's not going to be a problem. And I think just in general, um, when you look at our division, we'll figure it out. You know, that's not that's not – necessarily for today the guy can fly and he's a run and hit guy he's actually he's actually a really good rusher from the a gap inside stuff with the a gap too and and uh he's just a very disruptive football player 
That was Jake Heaps and the rest of the crew breaking down Jordan Brooks, the Seahawks' first-round selection on Tom, Jake, and Stacey. Look for those to continue, and you can listen to them every day from noon to 3 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Also recently on with Bob, Dave, and more, former Seahawk Ray Roberts joining the crew to talk about the state of the offensive line. A lot of turnover in the past year. Yeah, you know, Ray, it's funny. I was just looking at uh, Alton Robinson, and, uh, you know, it was the same type of deal where – he kind of got derailed, and I kind of compared it to Chris Carson. Like, Chris Carson was supposed to go to Georgia, and he was going to be, you know, at running back U, and then he hurt his uh, knee, and then he had to go to some directional, you know, junior college, and then he ends up at Oklahoma State. And the fact, you know, you talk about that grit and overcoming something, and it's it's not like they go looking for it necessarily, but, man, it sure helps because you remember your rookie year, Ray. I remember mine. Oh, man, it was I went through as much as I'd ever gone through in a year, and it really makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, I mean the way you the way you you can handle adversity, especially like coming going to any professional league is that way, any position, but especially on, along the offensive line because you're gonna be like in this division, you're gonna be playing against some 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 real meat eaters over there, and so you're gonna you're gonna have your share of of uh, you know getting embarrassed from time to time. And so being able to kind of uh, deal with that and bounce back from it and keep on plugging away uh, is important. And, I, 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 Dave, I do think that they probably use some of that grit and resilience factor in their scouting of players to kind of see what mm-hmm. they've done. It's just, it's, it's just it's, it can't be just a coincidence that they tend to draft dudes like that, even though every guy tends to have to That's play. true. But they, tend, they, tend to, they tend to find guys uh, that we go like, man, why draft that guy? But then when you look at their background, their backgrounds are all similar. Like they've overcome a lot of things. They've had to, you know, like this kid, like had to raise his, his brothers and sisters. I think his, his father passed away uh, early. And so he was a young man raising his family and things like that. So those types of things tend to pop up in the history of the players of the Seahawks draft. And I think it goes a long way into uh, sometimes them drafting guys when we go like, well, why'd you draft that dude? You know, and I, I think that that plays a factor into it. But I, I I really hope that this pandemic thing is all said and done, so we so we can go to training camp and watch this competition at at the interior offensive line for the Seahawks. Because between the, the guys they've had, you know, the layovers from last year uh, with Jones and Haynes, and then you then you throw in the free agents with uh, Warm War, Warmack and and then Posick you have, and then your potty you just mentioned. There's going to be some really interesting competition going on. Uh, between those those two guard spots and the center spot, you throw in Finney and 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 Hunt, and then now you there's going to be some real competition going on there. And that's why I really feel like uh, at the end of the day, this competition is going to force uh, it's going to push the, the the cream to the top, and then that player is going to pr- be a pretty good player. And then as it relates to them d- doing this overhaul, you know, with DJ Fluker, I think it was one of those deals where it's better to get rid of him a year too early than a year too late. Uh, I think last year because of a lot of his lower body injuries and things, he wasn't as effective as he was. He wasn't as dominating in the run game. And then I think he, he I don't want to say a liability, but I think that he wasn't as effective uh, in pass protection either. Like he gave up a lot of quick pressures uh, right up the middle of the, of the, uh, of the offensive line. And then, and then with, uh, and then with uh, Britt, I think it was probably, you know, the injury uh, also tied to the salary, you know, and, and, and then I think it was probably time for them to, they probably felt like they could move on and find something, uh, uh, you know, a little better. And I think that um, with with the guys that they have, they have a good young 
core of players to build for for the future. So, you know, like you said, your potty may or may not be the starting left guard. Dwayne Brown will be, will be around, so you, at some point you're going to have to develop a left tackle. But the rest of the offensive line, I feel like that for the first time, they're kind of building for for like the next four to five years and not for the next season. And That was uh, Ray Roberts on with Bob, Dave, and more. Full interview available for you at 710sports.com. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. We've got plenty of NFL headlines. How does Carson Wentz feel about his team drafting Jalen Hurts and splitting potentially uh, snaps with him? Also, Andy Dalton on joining the Cowboys. We hear from him on his return to Texas. All ahead in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! As always, plenty of storylines in the NFL surrounding the QB and potential cornerback controversies. Carson Wentz, Eagles quarterback, finally speaking out about the team's decision to draft Jalen Hurts. What did he make of that? It didn't really concern me. You know, I think my reaction was kind of understood. I had a feeling there's there's a chance we'd, we'd want to draft somebody, just given the, the the way our roster's laid out and trying to get younger and stuff. So there was no concern for me. You know, I think the the team showed their investment in me last year, and you know, I have nothing but confidence and faith in them, and you know, they have nothing but confidence and faith in me. Carson Wentz on potentially sharing snaps with Jalen Hurts. Whatever's going to help us win. I came to Philly ever since being drafted, and all I wanted to do is win, you know, and stand up there and hold that Lombardi trophy. And whatever that takes and whatever that's going to look like, I'm on board. Like you said, I'm a competitor. I want to be out there. I want to have the ball in my hand. We all do. But at the same time, uh, whatever's going to help us win, you know, I'm confident that the coaches and everyone's going to put us in the best situation. Speaking of quarterbacks, Andy Dalton, now Cowboys QB, feels a little weird to say, but returning to the state uh, where he played college ball. Andy Dalton saying he knew what his situation was like when the team drafted Joe Burrow. No, I, I think, I, obviously, I knew the situation I was in uh, with them, them drafting Joe, and I knew that they were going to draft Joe. And so, uh, you know, once, once that decision was made and after the draft, you know, I was just pushing for them to. Uh, to just make a decision on what my future was going to be. I felt like I had been patient throughout the whole process. And, and so, um, you know, I think it came to the point where, I mean, it, it, they uh, they felt like it was best to, to just move on and, and release me. And, you know, uh, I think that it, it, I think it's going to turn out best for, for, for both sides. So, um, you know, I appreciate my, my, my time in Cincinnati, but I'm excited for the future and, and what's ahead for me. A lot of people were thinking that he might sign at a place with more potential to be a starter right away and not sit behind Dak Prescott. But Andy Dalton on that decision to join the Cowboys. You know, this is just the next step for me. You know, I think uh, I wanted to join a high-class organization, a team that's ready to win and um, and be with, with, with Mike McCarthy, who's uh, just his, his history with quarterbacks. You know, I think it's gives me a chance to come to a, a new place, a chance to learn, to help deck out, deck out any way I can. And, um, 
you know, and then just to be an asset for the team. Obviously, I, I bring a lot of experience and, and it can bring a lot to the table. So uh, I'm here to help this team win and uh, help in any way I can. Also, uh, did talk about the one thing he thinks about is the friendships he made while in Cincy. Speaking of making friendships, too, Joe Staley made plenty of those over his career. He announced his decision to retire earlier this year, former 49ers offensive tackle, saying, it, admitting on the Adam Schefter podcast that it was a really tough decision. And it's a, you know, it's a hard decision because, like I said, it wasn't something that I, I wanted to do at all. You know, I still feel like I can play the game of football at a high level. Um, I still love the game of football. I never fell out of love with it. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, for my for my body, for my uh, you know, well-being, you know, the football game of football gave me so much. It was so much fun to be around, but uh, it's time to walk away. Tough to come to those decisions when you're still so relatively young at a huge part of your career has come to an end. Uh, but that was Joe Staley on with Adam Schefter. The NCAA is accused Shocker, the Louisville men's basketball program of committing a level one violation with an improper recruiting offer and extra benefits. Plus, they've also been accused of several level two violations, including an accusation that former Cardinals coach Rick Pitino failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance. Are we really shocked about this? The notice released on Monday is the completion of the NCAA investigation, the two year probe into uh, federal corruption probe, excuse me, into college basketball. Louisville acknowledged its involvement in the investigation related to the recruitment of former player Brian Bowen II, which led to the oustings of Patino and then athletic director Tom Yurich in October of 2017. The NCAA's notice this time, though, says the improper offer and subsequent extra benefits were provided by people it identified and defined as representative of the university's athletics interests. The school has 90 days to respond. Patino, meanwhile, he's returned to college basketball. Yeah, in March, we were all shocked to see that he was hired as the head coach at Iona. He acknowledged the NCAA allegation in a, in a statement and, of course, said he firmly disagrees with the allegation. Uh, Iona, meanwhile, says that they will support Coach Patino and expect him to respond within the process. All right, all right. The NBA uh, is weighing plans to return. And Brian Windhorse, the ESPN NBA insider, yesterday talking about the league potential for returning in the fall, resuming in the fall. One of the things that has been discussed is, all right, why don't we just shut down for now and start again in the fall and start by picking up this season and finishing it and then proceeding right into the next season? Um, basically having a year with no offseason. Now, there would be some complications with that, with with the draft and free agency. Uh, you could maybe have the draft over the summer and then the players wouldn't play right away. Um, while you finished, my guess in that scenario is it would just be a playoff only. Um, but as a, as a total one-off sort of solution, why not just say, hey, listen, let's just let everything calm down. Brian Windhorst also on... Uh the possibilities for certain teams like uh, the Lakers and the Clippers. If we restarted and there were pods and, the, and the, the Pacific Division was in a pod and everything was going along. We were finishing the regular season and, you know, you couldn't play your normal schedule, but you play your number of games out. And a player on the Kings, unfortunately, or a coach or, or a security official with the Kings came down with coronavirus. They would have to say, Lakers and Clippers, I'm sorry, uh, we're going to have to move on without you. 
uh, good luck next season. And that sounds preposterous, but that's the kind of level, levels of layers that these people are recommending to do. U.S. Women's National Soccer team co-captains Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino said uh, they were shocked after the team's claims for equal pay were dismissed by a court. A California judge on Friday threw out the players' claims that they were underpaid in comparison with the men's team. The duo said they plan to appeal the decision. Uh, he said, quote, this is Morgan. We are fighters and we will continue to fight together for this. She was on Good Morning America just yesterday. The World Cup winning team's uh, feud battle with U.S. soccer has been pretty public. Players have been seeking $66 million in damages under the Equal Pay Act. The court did allow complaints of unfair medical travel and training to proceed to trial, which is scheduled to begin on June 16th. As he rehabs from off-season surgery, Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. expects 2020 will be his best yet. He underwent surgery on January 21st to address a hip and groin injury that uh, slowed him down throughout last year, one of his worst seasons to date. He posted a video to YouTube. It involves workouts, highly produced, of course, but talks about in detail the nature of his injury that began in the summer and then worsened. So last year around, shit, I was training in June, July, and I kind of was just feeling stuff um, around groin area abs and stuff like that and I went through training I went through training get to August went through training camp like third week in training camp um, I tear a little piece of my abs um, so before the season I kind of had the hernia thing going on sports hernia surgery is what they call it end up at the end of the season torn adductor torn uh, rectus abdominis on the right so pretty much I was just I was up the whole year I didn't really try and say anything about it um, probably one of the worst surgeries I've ever had recovery's going well um Guess I'm really trying to put my body back together for, um, you know, I've been playing for 23 years. So for me, I'm, I'm trying to put it all back together in seven months. But did say that he predicts that this season will be one of his best. Feels pretty confident about that. How about a, just a feel-good moment this morning? There was a great video posted online yesterday, and I think Mariners have a full article up about it, but it's a young Ichiro back in 1995, as we are all tuned into the Last Dance documentary on Sundays. A young Ichiro meeting uh, Michael Jordan back in 1995 when he came to the U.S. He wanted to meet two people when he came here, Ken Griffey Jr. and Michael Jordan. Pretty cool. Also, Ichiro just rocking a Tom and Jerry sweater. Multiple Tom and Jerry sweaters on this trip. You can watch the video. It's incredible. But uh, here's a little bit of the audio from Ichiro meeting Jordan back in ね、あ、そうやってプラクティスしてて。はい、はい、僕も自分のプレゼンチとビジットプラクティス。おじゃ、see yeah, 
he would come to American play, but talk about some one-name cultural icons. It was pretty cool. You should check that video out. I think it's up at mariners.com and pretty cool article to go along with it. Just make you feel good, because why not? The Seahawks announced the waivers of four players yesterday, including defensive tackle Nas Jones. It was to make room on their 90-man roster for 12 more undrafted free agents, including three defensive linemen, two safeties, two corners, two running backs, a wide receiver, and two tight ends. They don't have enough tight ends. Come on. Yeah, pretty exciting. Marshawn Lynch, how about uh, his joining Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter yesterday? You missed the clip. You should check out the check out the video because you don't want to lose anything in uh, translation. But he did have this response when Scott Van Pelt asked him about potentially playing in Seattle this year. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to talk shop. I just I did read a quote where you said, "We'll see what's going to happen as it relates to the future." So I'm just curious what you want to happen in the future. You said what I want to happen in the future as far as what though. Well, I mean, people, you know, last year when you came back, it made people feel some kind of way, as they say, you know, and that, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you said, we'll see what happens. I'm just curious what, you know, what you want to happen, because you're the kind of guy that makes what you want to happen, happen. Well, I mean, it's almost on that expect the unexpected, but I mean, you know, just as far as right now, what I do know is I'm going to keep it silent, like, is that, uh, you know, my, my agent have been in talk with, uh, um, with Seattle, so, like I said, we'll see what happened there. Okay. If it work out and they, you know what I mean, and I get back up there, it is what it is. And I mean, if not, I'm living good. So I ain't really tripping too much. In the meantime, also Marshawn doing plenty of incredible work in his home community, despite everything going on with COVID-19, including handing out Beast Mode masks. Just being Marshawn. Also starring on Westworld Season 3, if you haven't seen it. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Thanks for hanging out this morning. For the Blitz, Danny and Gallant are coming your way in mere seconds right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.